You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hold on a minute. Is this really happening? It's an it it's a Spain and Fitz with Spain and Fitz and Ooh. it's a full 2-hour show. Well, hot damn. Everybody better listen up. This is going to be good. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We got lots to get to. An early preview for Thursday night's start of the NBA Finals. We'll get into some NHL playoff talk. That has been uh, absolutely incredible. Right every single round. And we got a game tonight that'll be underway as well. Uh, we're going to get into the Liz Cambay story. That's a very difficult and nuanced conversation to have uh, and, and how the WNBA, frankly, is handling that. Plus a little good take, hot take outside of NFL season, which is uh, the rare but always delightful dive into the good takes and hot takes of our fellow uh, gas bagging analysts. Uh, Fitz, I want to start with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And here's the Straight Talk that I was thinking about all day today as I was thinking about the start of this NBA Finals between Boston and Golden State on Thursday. And that's the weird journey that the Warriors have taken to this point. We've all heard the stats about them being in you know, X amount of straight postseasons, you know, six of the last eight or whatever it is. And then having the two years off and coming right back in it, back in the finals, back as the favorite. And they started out lovable. It was a later draft pick. It was a sharpshooter. It was a baby-faced assassin. Then they went heel because KD arrived and it was a cupcake move per his critics. And it was a team that could already win, adding yet another piece and making it boring. We all knew what we were going to get. Warriors, Cavs. They disappear and come back and they're lovable again. I cannot think of a team that has had that sort of reversal of fortune. That's the wildest part to me is the reversal of it. Because it's easy for a, te- for a team to go from loved to hated it feels like whenever there's a certain amount of success that the scales tip that way right we've seen that at different times even with things like the patriots right like there was a period where it felt like the whole country was behind the patriots and then it feels like at times the whole country's against the patriots like we're used to that this moment of coming back and forth reminds me of my childhood with 80s wrestling. Like, there were certain wrestlers that were good guys sometimes, then <laughs> bad guys, then good guys. And you'd almost laugh at the fact that, hey, they're just trying to make sure that they got a storyline going through. That's what the NBA has managed to accomplish with Golden State. And it all comes down to, I think, the lovability of certain characters. Like, there is such a lovability to Steph and Clay in the way they play the game that it makes the antics of Draymond even more lovable to some people. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're looking at the, these guys through a, a rose-colored glasses with everything they do. I, I don't remember ever seeing a team in any sport that was loved and hated that went back to love, but that's exactly what it feels like is happening right now. I'm going to put it out there, at Spade and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Is there another team you can think of that's been able to pull off that journey of lovable to heel back to lovable? Because you're right, very often, in almost every facet of society, we love an underdog or an ingenue or an it girl or someone that bursts onto the scene. But we get very tired of that very same person or team having too much success. And we turn on them. There's actual lengthy research and stories, particularly in the case of superstar women that get you know just too big and then everybody decides to hate them. Um, And that happens with teams all the time, whether it's the Jordan era Bulls, who, by the way, managed to 
pretty pretty well skate still people liking them despite them making it really boring and unfair for all the other teams that couldn't win uh that was still one of those teams that sort of most of america came together to love unless you were uh watching your team get get worked uh, and, and the bulls are an interesting thing because they they share something else with the warriors which is that same core of players making it all the way disappearing and coming back to be great again because we certainly see teams that have extended excellence, but usually it's not the same core of players that can be bad enough to not be in the picture and then reemerge and win again. Well, and, and that, I think, with the Bulls, it felt so explainable. Like, no Michael right. Jordan, then all of a sudden you're back. I realize that we could use injury to explain where we are this year, but I think that also forgives the fact that we didn't come into this year thinking that the Warriors were going to win at all. Like, we didn't, uh, as much as people thought they might take a step forward, I, I think what we've seen this year has been a little on the unexpected side. So that adds a level of of sort of appeal to all of this with the story because you're right like how how do you come out of everything a, a an underdog when you've had a bunch of championships and <laughs> right. i don't know that it's necessarily an underdog but man it sure is easy to now now everybody that has their thing against kd says see they don't need him they can win without right. him kd they you know and and then if you love steph this becomes that moment and if you love the redemption story of look at how injured clay has been like it's just all of these things sort of turn into redemption stories around one team that makes them so much fun to watch. And that's, it just feels weird to be in the spot because I'm not sure. As somebody that has no skin in the game, I never felt the hate for KD and the move that came to, no, that took either. him to the Warriors. But no. I, I, it was palpable right I now. It's, it. It, yeah. the, right. But the joy is what we understand now. Like you see it all over the place. I, it's like everybody's just forgetting that chapter. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You mentioned they're not really underdogs, but at the same time, if I took you back to that moment where you see KD leave, Steph gets hurt, Clay gets hurt, if I told you then that this would happen, I think you would have said, what a comeback. And if you're making yeah. that dramatic of a comeback, you are an underdog. It's just that at this point in the postseason particularly, we've seen this team get back to where the game starts and Steph gets hot or, you know, pool's going off or Draymond's, you know, getting the crowd hyped. And you're like, oh, I remember this. This is familiar. These aren't underdogs. These are proven winners. But somehow they they weirdly straddled that line of being both. Well, and we'll, that's only going to blow up. Like, I feel like if the Warriors win a championship here, just – the next level of fandom is just going to go through the roof on something I didn't think could go any bigger at this point. Like it, it is, it is interesting to me to see. And, and again, I'll say this is the Steph phenomenon. Like, you know, there's been so much conversation about legacy. And the one thing that I keep trying to remind people, even when they have those conversations is that Steph is bigger than men's basketball. You, you know, I talked to Caitlin Clark last year from Iowa and she was talking about the fact that she can, she can shoot from anywhere on the court because she grew up in a Steph era. Right. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking about the impact to women's basketball that's happened from it. Like the, the impact that Steph Curry's had on the league has become such a joyous story and it's rare. Like this is very Michael-esque in the fact that like there are certain superstars that dominate a whole era and everybody still wants to be their bestie. That is absolutely Steph. I don't know how he's managed it, but he could put on a clinic on it for everybody. That's very Magic Johnson too. Uh, he does put on clinics. I was actually invited to uh, host one of them and I couldn't, which made me really bummed because I do want to be best friends with Steph. Uh, interesting, though, you just reminded me, and I don't know how I forgot about this, but you remember the beginning of the Warriors was they're ruining the game of basketball. 
He's ruining the game of basketball. <laughs> right, these threes, right. these deep shots, everybody's going to take them even if they can't make them. And how quickly did we get off our get off my lawn stance on that when we realized how joyful it is to watch? And yeah, you might be able to argue from some of the other games you might have witnessed in the NBA that the impact of the three dominating strategy has at times made for an uglier game. And you can probably blame Steph and the Warriors for that. But they do it so beautifully, you can't blame them. You have to blame everyone else who can't pull it off the same way, but continues to try. Uh, it's been an incredible journey for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, let us know if you can remember a team that did lovable to heal, back to lovable, the way that they have. Lots of analysis on this series that we'll get to a little bit later. also want to talk about the thing that could make the Celtics lovable, despite their grinded-out defensive style, despite their fan base that eh, maybe people don't think deserve another title, there is something about this Boston team that might turn you to their side. It's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Royals. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Final Four is set in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Puck is about to drop. We'll talk to someone who gets set for all the action. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80. And I do actually mean Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Woo. Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Whew, it's a good day. You can tweet us at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, as we ask you guys what team has ever gone from loved to hated to loved again like we've seen from the Warriors. We'll get some of your responses coming up. Uh, but we want to get some insight on the Stanley Cup playoff run that has been absolutely incredible. Uh, we start tonight. Uh, the series between the Oilers and the Avs starts tonight. So let's get Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer, to give us all the information we could possibly want on this and more. Greg, always appreciate your time. I keep hearing it's not supposed to just be Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid, but sure feels like it. So uh, what else in this series other than that are you looking forward to the most? Well, first of all, it's the best because Nathan McKinnon comes out and says it's not about them, which of course means it's about them. So <laughs> that gives us all the fodder that we need. Um, it's a really interesting series in, in the sense that we're trying to figure out exactly how good the Oilers are. Uh, they beat the Calgary Flames in the previous round. Uh, they showed a little bit more depth, a little bit more structure than I think people anticipated. Their goalie, agent of chaos, Mike Smith, was uh, more good than bad in the series, and, and that's not something we always anticipate. So we know what the Avalanche are. They're probably the best teams still in the tournament. Um, but I think we're all trying to figure out if the Oilers are more than just Connor McDavid, dragging them by their collar into the uh, third round of the playoffs, or if there might be a little bit more to this team than we anticipate. Greg, for hockey people, belaboring just how excellent McDavid is has probably gotten old. But for the casual fan who needs a reason to turn this on, tell us what it is when you're watching McDavid versus McKinnon and then McDavid in particular. So McDavid versus McKinnon is fun because it is a contrast in style. Um, you know, they're both strong skaters, but they're different kind of skaters. McDavid is one of the fastest players we've ever seen. Uh, not only in his raw speed, but in his ability to create plays at that velocity. It's something that, you know, you talk to, to the old-timers in this league, and they tell you they've never seen a player with this skill set before, a player that can create plays, score in his own. I mean, we talk in the NBA all the time about posterizing defenders. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, he, he, pull, he pulls out moves that leave guys, you know, beaking guys out of their skates. Um, McKinnon is more of a power skater. I mean, he's fast, he's good, um, but he's much more of a powerful skater um, and, and is known for 
being hard to take off the puck and being known to get a shot off in a lot of variety of ways at full speed. So it's two guys that rely on their skating. They're different kinds of skaters. And at the end of the day, they're two of the best offensive players on the planet. They're also, I mean, when you're talking about Connor McDavid, you're talking about somebody that really hits me as marketable, Greg. I'm, I, we always talk about baseball marketing their stars and how sports can grow. Is Connor McDavid the guy that can sort of take the league to the next level when it comes to the casual fan? Oh, definitely. I mean, he's a human highlight reel. Right? We, we've come to know him as the human cheat code in hockey, where he just does things that the game shouldn't allow, but he still finds ways to still do him. He defies the laws of gravity at times. And I think when it comes to the casual sports fan and and any sport, whether it's, you know, the Olympics or whether it's international soccer or whatever, talent is always going to be the thing that attracts you to the game. You you can identify somebody who is infinitely better than the players that are around him. You can identify with somebody that is doing things with the puck that other people aren't doing. And, And I think as soon as you watch McDavid, that's the sense you get. And the interesting thing about him is um, I think people are starting to get into it. Uh, the, the ratings, the audience for the Calgary-Alberta series, the Battle of Alberta, you might have some people checking in just to see a rivalry, but I think a lot of people are checking in just to see McDavid play, and that's great news for the league. Yeah, the problem is he's from Canada, eh? We, we need him to come <laughs> play on an American team because it's fine if you're Canadian, but you got to play for an American team so we can see, eh? Uh, well, David. The, 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 go, go ahead. I was going to say the thing is the thing is Sarah that's that's why whenever anybody accuses the NHL of fixing the draft lottery like when the Rangers right. win it I'm yeah. like dude if no they way. could fix the draft You're lottery so Nathan uh, uh, yeah. Connor McDavid would not be in Edmonton Edmonton Oilers <laughs> yeah Greg Wyshynski ESPN senior NHL writer is with us you can follow him at Wyshynski that is if you could spell it uh, really quick before we move on to the other series I do want to ask you because I've heard I think it was uh, Mike Ryan was talking hockey on Levitard saying that Connor McDavid is being portrayed to all as the best player in any sport in the world right now. Not just hockey, but the best player at his sport of any sport. Is that taking it too far? It's not. It's not at all. I mean, from an offensive perspective, he is better than anybody playing. Uh, his ability to create goals is something we haven't seen probably since the heyday of Mary Lemieux. But the other thing about him is that he's getting better defensively. He's not a one-dimensional player. And so if you're talking about somebody who's infinitely better not only than his peers, but also infinitely better than anything we've come to see before in his sport, I mean, the argument could be made. Now, if you're someone who measures by championships, he ain't there yet. (laughs) I mean, the Oilers are are only in the conference final for the first time in his career. So it doesn't have the rings, doesn't have the renown, but he definitely has the talent and he definitely has the accomplishments insofar as scoring titles and MVP trophies and the like. Yeah, he's also only 25. So when he marries a supermodel and the Kings Gross. call, you know, yeah. Edmonton has history there. Okay, <laughs> uh, before I make all of Canada mad, uh, let's at least get into the Rangers a little bit. How have they managed to stave off elimination over and over and over again? Well, there's hashtag no quitting and, and, and why, baby. That's the <laughs> mantra. And uh, it, it's on all the commemorative T-shirts. They're leaving on seats at the Garden. But it's also the, the thing they've adopted. And, I mean, I've covered this team now for a couple of rounds, and I've been really impressed with the mindset that they have. They're a young team. There are players in this, in, on this team that have never been in the playoffs before. And yet they're not, they came back from a 3-1 deficit against Pittsburgh. They came back from a 2-0 deficit and a 3-2 deficit against Carolina. Some of it is the, you know, the offensive players that they have that are able to score big goals, Chris Kreider and 
you know, Mika Zibanejad and others. But a lot of it obviously tracks back to Igor Shchuk and their incredible goaltender. Um, he was shaky in the first round. He got pulled twice in Pittsburgh. They were chanting his name. He got all freaked out. But he really found his game. And against Carolina, he was basically the MVP of that series for the Rangers. So they're going to be in this series against the, the Lightning. I've picked them to win. I'm one of only like four people at ESPN to pick them to win. Um, but I really think that they're, they're a lot closer to the Lightning than, than the odds makers and some of the pundits are giving them credit for. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Greg Wyshynski. No quit in NY is just a slight upgrade from Bing Bong. And only because Bing Bong got <laughs> old, it was originally magic, and I appreciated it. Uh, the other's a little too clunky. Real quick, we have about a minute or so left. You mentioned the Lightning. How hard is it to do what they're doing? Because as a Blackhawks fan, three and six was wild. But oh, three in a row? What would that be in the sport of hockey, especially right now with the talent that's out there? Well, first of all, three and six is a cap-era dynasty in my book, so congrats to the Blackhawks for that. But listen, the last hmm. time we saw a three-peat was 1983 with the New York Islanders. We've had five different teams attempted since then and fall short. The Lightning have actually gotten farther than any of those teams. Most of them have, uh, have checked out in the second round. So the Lightning getting to the conference final is, is doing better than any of those teams have done. Um, they can do it. I mean, they've got the talent. They don't look tired. Remember, they were able to win two Stanley Cups in seasons that were truncated due to the pandemic. So they haven't played a full 82 games in either of their cup runs. Um, it, the Rangers are going to be a tough out, but if they get through them, I mean, they can get through anybody. And, and a, a Lightning Avalanche final, I think, is something that a lot of hockey fans are salivating over. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Wyshynski. Check him out all across our coverage, across the Stanley Cup final uh, run. Let's uh, let's keep doing this, Greg. We should keep hanging out yeah, all the way until the times. cup is lifted. We appreciate you. Anytime. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg. E- ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save on commercial auto insurance from Progressive. Get a fast quote at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Real quick, I will mention the Stanley Cup finals are on ABC, which I think is a huge opportunity for the mm-hmm. sport this year. Uh, they're going to get all sorts. And that's why, just shamelessly, I'm rooting for Connor McDavid to get the win in this yes. series because I think that is a great story. Who stands to gain the most in these NBA finals? We'll ask one of our favorite experts next. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and, as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You just heard it in the Sports Center update. I the the thought of anybody galloping on skates just sounds amazing. <laughs> That's PK Subban doing God's work right there. That's just well described. All like I can't gallop without skates on, and now that's all I can picture. Uh, so good work by him. Speaking of good work, one of our favorite, Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, going to join us now. We'll get his thoughts on everything to expect out of the NBA Finals. Legs, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. What sort of wear and tear do you expect on the legs of the Celtics after another seven-game series? Yeah, look, I think it matters. I mean, I don't think it's something to be completely dismissed, but I also think you're talking about, you know, guys that, that have young athletic legs, and this is going to be an adrenaline rush unlike anything you've ever experienced. So I'm not that concerned that they're not going to be able to dig deep. Uh, the question is going to be, can you pull off defensively what you're going to need to against this team? And I think that's going to be a, a serious challenge. This is unlike anything that they have defended to this point in the postseason. And I know they went up against, you know, real, a real talent in Brooklyn a couple of superstars. They went up against a great team in Milwaukee with a superstar. 
And then they went up against a, a banged-up Miami Heat team with, with one star. Um, and it, those, all of those teams operated so differently uh, than Golden State. You have so many more bases to cover when you play this team. So that's what I'm curious to see. Like, this is number one defense in the league. Uh, you're going to need it, and I want to see how effective it can be against this team. So I, I think their legs will be fine, and they're going to need every ounce of energy every night because the Warriors make you play through the entire clock. Yeah, Legs, let's get into that. I know we've got two more days before game one. Lots more time to watch tape and try to figure out what they'll try to do. But let's take a stab at exactly how the Celtics are going to try to slow down this Warriors offense. Yeah, look, they're going to switch a lot. They they, they switch more than any team in the league um, on ball screens, dribble handoffs, um, even weak side stuff. They switch a lot, and they have the personnel to do it. No team is more equipped to switch as much as you need to against Golden State. I actually think the league has gotten to a place uh, with the switching that is actually more disadvantageous most times than not. I think teams switch unnecessarily. Um, They allow great players to pick who they want to play against um, by getting a simple ball screen 35 feet from the basket when you're not even a threat from there. Um, But having said that, this is a team you do need to switch against, and I think that's where you're going to see – a lot of the breakdowns coming from. Certainly, I'm going to be looking at that a lot. You'd love to have Marcus Smart on as much as you can, but the way that he moves and the number of screens he's going to get, you're going to have to get a lot of help. And I think Boston, from a personnel standpoint, they, they've got the length, they've got the athleticism and the foot speed to do it at a higher level than anybody else. That's a big factor because it has bothered Golden State in the past. So then let's take the opposite side of that. If that's the approach for Boston, what does Golden State do to counter that? biggest thing that they have to do in this series is they're going to have to have ball security. If there's one thing that Steve Kerr has probably talked about more than any other topic in the, in the Steph Curry era, it is getting loose with the ball. So you have this team that's going to guard you physically. They've got length. They're going to switch a lot. They're going to contest everything. They've got a lot of want to. So they're going to fight you. So you know you're going to take a lot of contested shots. And historically, Steph Curry has, has probably has, has had a harder time with, with uh, Marcus Smart as any defender he's played against. So knowing that going in, you can't, in addition to that, turn the ball over 15, 16, 18, 20 times. And Golden State is prone to get careless because they try to hit the home run pass uh, for stretches of games. And you look up and they got six, seven turnovers in a quarter. Right. Can't happen against this team. It's already going to be hard enough. Um, with the number of contested shots you're going to have to take, you also cannot turn the ball over. So I think that's a key, key fact um, for Golden State. A key, one of the biggest numbers on the statute is going to be FGA, field goal attempts. That number's got to be up there. Um, and the turnovers obviously diminish that number, so you've got to keep that down. That, to me, is, is probably the biggest thing that Steve Kerr needs to worry about. Are they taking care of the ball, getting shots? If they do, I think they've got enough weapons that on a given night, if even two of those guys or two and a half of those guys have good offensive nights, I think that could be enough because they're also a very, very good defensive team. Yeah, I mean, that team can score in transition. That team can score from three, and that team can beat you in a half court the way that other teams could not uh, stand up to that Celtics defense in the half court because of the movement that they have. Tim Legler's with the ESPN NBA analyst on Spain and Fitz. One of the things that we've seen emerge over the course of the series that led these two teams here was the important role players. Some guys who would sit a whole series and then become really important in the next one or alternate in games, depending on what size roster the opposing team was putting out there. Who do you see as the deeper bench players on both sides that will be very important in this series? 
I like the depth overall more of Golden State, but I think that it, look, it's it's you're talking about splitting hairs because both of these teams have guys that are going to be critical on a given night. I always talk about the unexpected offense, right? That's what you need in playoff games. That's what you need in finals games. You know, and, and as a coach, you don't know where it's coming from. If you're Emei Udoka or Steve Kerr, you have a pretty good idea what you're going to pencil in going into the game for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. You have a good idea, like for the most part, what that's going to look like. Then you start going, okay, what about a nice little 14 points out of Derek White? What about mm-hmm. Al Horford give me a five-made three-point game? What about – you know, Jordan Poole giving me, you know, one of those games where he comes off the bench and gives you 25. Um, so the, the role play, or Kevon Looney goes, and like he did earlier in the playoffs, give you 11 offensive rebounds. You know, is he going to be a, a factor, a guy we're talking about the next morning? That's what I always say with these teams. And the game's this big. If we're talking about such and such, then tomorrow morning – that's a great sign for Golden State, and those are some of the role players, or, or Boston. Those role players are going to have a lot to do in this series, and I think I just mentioned four that are going to be enormous. And Poole, I don't know if you want to call him a role player anymore because he's an elite-level scorer, but he's still a guy that's kind of in a, in a riding shotgun, right? He's not in the driver's mm-hmm. seat for this team. So he is still, to me, is a massive X factor. Mark Smart's an X factor, too, by the way. He, with his defense and his toughness and all that, that's great, but he's also capable of having a 20-point game. So it, uh, beyond the top four scoring stars, there's going to be a lot of great storylines night to night. Talk a little bit about the coaches then, because, you know, we obviously know what to expect from Kerr, but Ime has been sort of an unexpected surprise to a lot of people. What have you seen from him that has impressed you? The thing I love about Ime Udoka, and I started seeing it probably you now midseason, you know, it takes some time to, for you to kind of formulate what you think a guy is as a coach. And what I love about him is he's up and verbal and vocal. He's got his hand on everything that's going on. I, I, I really, one of my things I rail against is when I'm watching games sometimes, and and you see that sea of the the quarter zip, long sleeve quarter zips, and there's 25 <laughs> of those now. There used to be like five when I played. Now there's 25 of those. And my point is, when the ball changes into the floor, you can't really pick up the head coach right away because he's sitting down, mixed in that sea of quarter yeah. zips. Uh, I like to see that head coach up. And Ime Udoka is up almost the whole game. He's verbal, he's vocal, and then that final component, he is not afraid to challenge guys coming off the floor when they've had a bad stretch and they're going into a timeout. And I don't care who it is, Tatum, Brown, or the role players. He doesn't have scapegoats. He calls out the guys that are responsible. He's got an intensity about him that, at the same time, he is is able to garner respect because what he's saying has such validity because it's it's smart what's coming out of his mouth. That's all NBA players want. You can yell at me, man. You can get into me. But what you're saying better make sense, and you better be able to help us when we're going through a rough patch. And he has proven all that. So I just love um, the intensity he brings and how vocal he is throughout the game and how much those guys respect him despite the fact that he can be hard on them. Great stuff, uh, as always. We appreciate your insight and your expertise, Legs. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks, Legs. Anytime. Love coming on. Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst there, breaking down everything you need to know 
for the finals, uh, which are going to be wild, and they're right around the corner. We're almost there. Uh, we'll keep you updated on everything you need to know about that. But there are so many times, uh, so many topics, I should say, and so little time. It's time for quickies. We're going to do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We got to get back to that Warriors conversation we were having because some people are telling us our premise is flawed. They are not, in fact, lovable again. We'll get into that. Plus, what could make the Celtics lovable, despite, you know, being from Boston and all? We'll get into that, too. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. <laughs> Stay out of my menchies, Boston. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We will get back into all of that and so much more, but we've got lots to get to first. And in order to do that, we got to do it the way we do it around here when we're in a hurry. we got too much to get to. It's called Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Yesterday we were asked the age-old question on Around the Horn, does home ice matter more than a hot goalie standing on his head? I said home ice. Every game the Hurricanes have played all postseason long has gone to the home team. Every game in this series has gone to the home team. The Hurricanes are at home. They will win. Narrator. They did not, in fact, win. It was that hot goalie, (laughs) Shesterkin. And the Rangers that won game seven. Here's what it sounded like. The New York Rangers. The dream continues. They've done it. They have advanced to the Eastern Conference Final to play the Tampa Bay Lightning with a terrific 6-2 to two win here in Raleigh. 36 saves for Shesterkin, and this is a team that has their hands full. That series doesn't start for another day tonight right now we have uh, as we speak uh just about to get underway uh edmonton colorado we were talking to washinsky about that game earlier that is going to be a super fun series fits yeah sir you know what's worse than being wrong on around the horn about a game <laughs> what happened to my my wallet on this like oh, i've well, really stop you know, with that you're not good I, at I, this i keep i keep trying i keep thinking this is the way and your logic was my logic i was like i got oh, this no. figured out there's oh, no way no. that this works out so yet again uh, you know, I, every time I keep saying, I'll just pop another 50 bucks in there, all mm-hmm. I, I should just give that 50 bucks to charity every time. You really that's should. What I'm and doing also, right I hope at least this time you remembered which team you bet on. Because last time you came rolling in all excited, I go, that's not even what you bet. You were like, oh, yeah, whoops. Oh, no, I lost. Whoops. Yeah, so far, things are not going particularly well for me in this department. But hey, I, I'm learning. That's what just, I keep telling I myself. I'm learning to go against my instincts. That's what they say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, next story Quickies. Speaking of chasing, the Rams may be chasing down Aaron Donald to keep playing. Remember at the end of the Super Bowl, there was that sort of mercurial comment about, you know, will he retire? And then it was, nah, of course not. That's not happening. Well, that conversation is back because he said this today. For me, it's about winning. I don't want to play football if I can't win anyway. So I feel like if if it were lying and I got a, like a real opportunity to win another Super Bowl, then it makes sense to play. But again, it's still a business. We got to handle the business side of things. And if, if that wasn't to get handled, then it is what it is type situation. I'll be fine regardless. This is what he said on the I Am Athlete podcast. Lewis Riddick with a couple thoughts on hearing that. That sounds like a guy who understands exactly where he is at in terms of his career, in terms of his life, and in terms of the kind of leverage that he has on the L.A. Rams at this point in time. You know what the market says, and you know the kind of tangible and intangible effect he's going to have on your football team in a negative way if you don't resign it. Yeah, I mean, you could look at this just as a leverage play, but he certainly doesn't sound like a guy who's just using the media to get more cash. 
Well, and realistically, if you're somebody that's taken home $100 million in your career, you are as popular as Aaron Donald is. You have all sorts of opportunities. And we live in a world where we've seen firsthand how much guys are getting paid to leave the field and go to the booth instead Mm -hmm. to call games. You could make basically the same money you're going to make every year and sit in a booth and talk about it. Instead, he would get that offer in a heartbeat. So I I think this is Aaron Donald, Donald looking around saying, hey, what makes sense for me, for my family, for the rest of my life is if I'm going to be playing, then it better be worth the risk. And that means right. highest paid. You're right, because already won tons of money, legacy and and expectation of his play already proven, charming dude, great smile, great personality. Like he, he's got the world uh, in his hand. And if he doesn't really want to play and doesn't think they can win, I don't blame him for saying it might it might be over. So... Wouldn't that be wild, though? And if you're the Rams, a team that has banked on the players that you got and then free agency instead of the draft, and you lose him, that's going to be real tough to replace. It's Spain and Fitz. It's Quickies. Next story. Quickies. Uh, Quickly. Even quicker than quickly, because I'm guessing you didn't watch this. We don't cover a lot of lacrosse on this show, but the Cornell Big Red advanced to the national title game in men's lacrosse. It didn't look good for a while, Fitz. I think it was 9-2 to two for a while. People were mocking my Cornell Big Red, saying they didn't belong, saying that the undefeated Maryland team was making them look silly, but then they raged back. They had, the, they had them on their heels, and if there had only been five more minutes in the game, they might have won it. Here's the end. The Terps can taste it. Higgins to Fairman. The final ten seconds. A season for the ages. And a team for all time. By the way, that is not um, that is not our guy Steve Levy, but doesn't it sound like him? It does actually. At first, it, I was that... like, "Wow, Steve Levy! That's crazy that he that he calls uh, that he calls uh, lacrosse as well." But um, that is a, a different gentleman. I think his name is Anish Shroff. Oh yeah, uh, I know Anish well. Yeah, Anish yeah. is a Anish is a buddy. Look at Anish doing the, yeah, the doing God's work job. on the lacrosse. Yeah, 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 yeah. always. Uh, and and yeah, Maryland. Look, that was that's lacrosse country. You 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 took on a team mm-hmm. that uh, that that lives in lacrosse country. You weren't going to have a good uh, good Listen, run. Listen, Cornell on it, by is the lacrosse country. Cornell is lacrosse country. Uh, but you can't give scholarships in the Ivy League, so you're competing against teams that can give you a whole bunch of money and other things. And Cornell lost in a respectable nine to seven. Maryland eighteen and zero. Unbelievable. All right, next story. Quickies. French Open update, and it's an update I was hoping to be able to give you. Fitz and I were following along with this as our show started. We were looking at this score thinking, oh, man, man, this this is going to go five. This is a, a really serious quarterfinal match between two greats and Nadal and Djokovic. But instead of going down when he was on the ropes 5-2 in the fourth set, Looking like Djokovic is going to make it five sets. Nadal storms back to win 7-6 in the fourth. 6-2-4-6-6-2-7-6. Couldn't have happened to a more unvaccinated guy in Novak Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> to steal a line from the internet. Also uh, wild that that matchup, because, you know, the modern streaming world, that matchup wasn't on regular television. So crazy to think that that's where we've gone uh, with uh, something that matters so much for the future of the sport. Yeah. So, you know, but uh, that's where we are today. In, in, in the, the modern world, you got to hunt it to find it. Yeah, pretty awesome stuff. Started at 9 p.m. Tuesday over there. Four Ooh. hours later, finished 1 a.m. Wednesday. So that epic match, not only two days, but two months in the making. Because, uh, you know, it's June there now. You see? 
Well, see, see what I did there? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, also, Coco Goff advanced, by the way, um, which is really exciting. I've been, you know, Coco Goff, not only as a tennis player, but as an activist, as a voice uh, at her age, has just really impressed me across so many spaces. She beats Sloane Stevens. Uh, she reaches the Grand Slam semifinals for the first time. Uh, really cool story and excited to see her play. All right, next story. Quickies. So it's a little more serious. And uh, Fitz, you and I have talked a bit about long COVID, not as much maybe uh, in in recent months, but one of the scariest parts of COVID to me has been not just uh, the unexpectedness of what it can do to you in the moment. There are some very healthy people who've suffered some grave consequences, uh, but also long COVID and that you could have a minor case and then months later have trouble breathing, have trouble going up the stairs, walking long distances, have heart issues, lung issues. The, the smell and taste issues. Well, Lionel Messi has revealed that he has been keeping secret a COVID-19 long COVID struggle. Um, he contracted it in early uh, January and he told an Argentinian broadcaster, TYC Sports, that when he initially got it, he had the typical symptoms, sore throat, coughing, fever. But then when those cleared up, he continued to have respiratory issues, tried to come back to play. And even a month and a half later, he wasn't able to run the same way because his lungs were affected. It got worse because he came back too fast um, and he wanted to keep going. In the end, it got worse. I mean, Fitz, there's been a number of athletes we've seen this happen to. Yeah, it's a nightmare scenario for athletes, too, because you're so helpless and uh, hopeless feeling in that moment. It's something that you can't control and nobody has answers to how it gets better. So mm-hmm. this is the, the exact scenario that so many athletes fear when they can track COVID in general, because there's still so much to learn about that portion of it that, you know, I can't imagine what it feels like to realize that you're struggling with everything that you need to be able to do to make a living. And there's no easy answer to fix it. I was just talking to someone about that today because one of the other long COVID is sort of that brain fog. And I said, I really can't have that thing where you can't find the word you're looking for since that's my whole job (laughs) is finding the word you're looking for in the moment extemporaneously. So uh, healing to him for sure. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Coming up is the Young Celtics roster ready to compete against the experienced Warriors. And can we find a way to convince you that they're a lovable team of scamps next Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Likeability is a strange thing. It seems like we want to give a ton of it to teams on the rise, but once teams have had what many people view as enough success, then all of a sudden that weight shifts and suddenly everybody feels like they're pulling against them. So the question is, even in a society where we've rooted against the Warriors and the Celtics at different times, do these franchises have a path that only increases their likability? Could we even like the Celtics by the time the NBA Finals are done? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, a full two-hour stacked show for once. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're having a good time getting you guys ready for the NBA Finals. But this this one's interesting, Sarah, because... You know, maybe I'll show my age and my bias here, but, uh, you know, as the old man on the block around this show, uh, I, I remember the, the old Lakers-Celtics rivalries were all about everybody, sort of everybody, where I was, people loved the Lakers and hated the Celtics because the Celtics mm-hmm. were the mean guys, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we've gone through these chapters where Boston as a sports city has been rooted against by many people because of their tremendous success, but this Celtics team has been sort of a little bit of an underdog this year. So could the Celtics find themselves becoming likable to all of us? So there are two things that I could see potentially convincing fans who otherwise 
have no interest in rooting for the same group of fans that got all of the Brady years and some Bruins love and Red Sox and years and years of history from the Celtics. There are two things that could convince them. One, the incredible turnaround under the watchful eye of Vimeo Doka, who's just a likable dude, dating Nia Long, interesting guy, hasn't been around long enough as a head coach for people to you know figure out why they dislike him yet, uh, and <laughs> turn this team around from let's sell off the pieces, the two Jays aren't ever going to work together, to now we're in the NBA Finals. So that turnaround, that story of adversity and fighting through, I think people find fascinating. It certainly wasn't an easy slog for them. The other one is what you just heard in that update. There ain't a player on this roster that's been in a Finals before. And for some of them, that long, hard road to get this opportunity makes them easy to root for. Here's Marcus Smart, one of those guys, talking about just how it's felt waiting this long to get this opportunity. Finally, you know, to be able to get over that hump and have a chance to, you know, uh, make it to the NBA Finals. Um, you know, this is every every athlete's dream is to get to that, that final stage and have an opportunity. And, you know, I've been here four years in the Eastern Conference Finals and, and, and you know, I've, I've been sent home every year after. So it feels really good, you know, and it feels really good for Jason and Jalen. You know, we've been we've been together for the longest. And even Al, man, Al, just happy for him. You know, he played all these games and, and he works his tail off. He deserves it more than any of us. So it was, it was a great feeling. It, I that, mean, that's moving something in me, Fitz. That's, that's stirring up some feelings inside of like, oh, look at all these guys. They've waited so long. That's the Bulls fan in you because uh, mm-hmm. that's like one of the NBA things that we get used to, right? There's always this concept of great teams have to find a way to break through another team. And I always use uh, the, the Bulls example against the Pistons for those years where, as we saw in the documentary a couple of years ago, Michael Jordan talking about realizing he needed to get in a weight room because they just couldn't get through yeah. the Pistons. The Celtics just couldn't break through the Eastern Conference. And it hasn't been one team. It's really been the Celtics not being able to take advantage of being as talented as they are in the minds of many. And now all of a sudden they find themselves taking on this Warriors team that is so dynastic in what they've accomplished over the last eight years that it's certainly easy to continue that underdog feeling of, my God, you finally broke through. You got the monkey off your back. And now it, it's unlimited what you can accomplish at this point. That that makes a lot of sense for a reason to root for. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. There's plenty of reason to want to see some some new blood, and it doesn't feel like that when you're talking about a Celtics team that has such history to it. But as far as the players on this roster and the coach, this would be a fresh face and an up-and-coming star in Tatum. And that's another interesting part to this. There is this element of the comeback kids for the Warriors that has them, we think, feeling very lovable again. Although when we posited to people the question about other teams that would been lovable going to heal back to lovable, there are certainly plenty of people that chimed in to say, wait a minute, lovable? They're not lovable. Like, so some people are still not fans of the Warriors. But when you look at the Celtics team, you've got a guy in Tatum that could also add to the likability if he takes that next step in this series. He was inconsistent in the last series, and he was great when they needed him to be. Those clunkers sort of disappear and we forget about them when we tell the story of this run if he is excellent in the finals. And if he's excellent in the finals and leads them to a win and you look back at the path that he took to get there through these great superstars and other teams, all of a sudden 
he becomes the kind of guy that causes fans from other markets to become Celtics fans the way that Giannis has drawn people to Milwaukee, the way that Ja is making people interested in Memphis. That's something that Tatum could do, and that would make this team a lot more likable. Well, yeah, and, and that's one of the weirdest parts of, of NBA culture is the path is so out of the control of many of the players that you have to go through to win. But when you've gone through a particularly branded path like they have this year and I say Brandy because I'm not necessarily saying all these teams have been great this year and I think injuries have been a part of why the Celtics are where they are taking nothing away from the Celtics it's just one of those years I I look at that and say Tatum's ability I I mean what we're all going to remember at the end of this not knowing how the finals play out but as of today I think those those iconic battles between Giannis and Tatum where neither of them could be stopped and both of them just felt like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders are the sort of moments that if it ends in a championship become the defining moments that we talk about for generations about that player. Like in 20 years, whoever's yelling at mm-hmm. each other on first take will be saying, mm-hmm. yeah, but remember what Tatum did right. to Giannis. Like, Somebody's going to say he played a bunch of plumbers. and No, no, no. <laughs> he went through Giannis and KD. <laughs> By that point, we'll talk about Giannis and KD being plumbers because everyone will be eight feet tall with a smooth J and, and some handles. Yeah. Uh, and everybody will be able to shoot from under their own basket, and it will be just a normal, <laughs> yeah. accepted quality. Well, that'll the be NBA. the five-pointer, and that oh, will yeah. ruin the game, to be honest. I'm saying to- I want to be the first to tell you that the five-pointer will ruin the NBA. Oh, look at that. We went straight get off my get lawn out before we even. take. Like, look, look, when that happens, we're going to be perfect on the debate shows. Like, and, and by then, they'll be dunking on, like, 18-foot rims also. That's right. Everybody will be like, right. oh, it was, it it was down, child's play back then. Exposed. We're ready. <laughs> no, it is funny to me that we, as much as we put Boston in the Celtics, I should say, with all of the success of the city of Boston, it should be noted that none of the men on this team have experienced this level of success. And that is part of what is incredible. So for all the successes that New England sports fans have and how spoiled they are, mm-hmm. I can't use that against these these, these great guys. players mm-hmm. that have worked so hard to get to where they are right now. So may, maybe maybe things are turning around. Maybe suddenly I'm no, I'm not I, I don't know who I'm rooting for. I know who I think is going to win. We won't reveal that yet. But I don't know who I'm rooting for. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com are the Warriors poised to win two of the next three NBA championships. Find out. It's time to good take, hot take some of our peers. We'll, we'll, we'll call some people out for what they've said today. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN. Hey, Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's been a while. It's been a while since Fitz and I were both here for a show and it was a full two-hour show. It's also been a while since we dissected... The takes of our fellow sports analysts and bloviating gas bags. We usually do this during the NFL season every Monday. We hear all sorts of people talking about the weekend's games. But now we have a special NBA playoffs edition of Good Take, Hot Take. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. If you're not familiar, we take sound bites from some of our teammates here at ESPN and elsewhere. And we decide whether their take is a good take or a hot take. And we've got a whole lot of people talking about the series we just watched and the Boston Golden State series that starts on Thursday. Let's start with Zach Lowe, whose podcast, The Low Post, along with uh, Brian Windhorst's uh, Hoop Collective, are my go-tos and have been all season long. Uh, that's where you really get the good uh, nitty-gritty 
uh, analysis here. But let's see if this analysis is good or hot. If he wins the title and gets a finals MVP, that's four rings, a million-time All-Star, a million-time All-NBA, two MVPs, including a unanimous one. I, I think the point guard conversation then comes down to just him and Magic, and I don't think it's crazy to say that it's a debate at that point. Okay, all-time point guard Steph versus Magic. If Steph wins finals MVP, he said this on Greeny Fitz. Is that a good take or a hot take? I think it's a good take. And uh, what's it? There we go. And for me, you know, I think you could already have that conversation. Like, I don't think it's going to take a finals MVP. Uh, but I think if he does go out and wins this championship, it changes a little bit of the conversation. It changes one of the yeah buts. To me, the finals MVP is so arbitrary. I'm not going to put the weight on that, but I think a championship win here does eliminate any sort of a yeah but conversation anybody wants to have about the Warriors and his legacy specifically. I'm going to say hot take. Woo! And here's why. I love watching Steph. Steph has changed the game, but I think Steph will still do more, and it's a little premature. Steph has done some incredible things, and I'm looking at the stats from... I think these stats might be a little delayed, but I don't think they would be changed by last season because of Steph's injury and the Warriors being out. But uh, last I checked, three NBA titles, two MVPs, four all NBA first teams, seven all-stars. So let's just took, take a look at the people we're leaving out if we if we whittle it down to Magic versus him. One of them would be Jerry West, who yeah. has 10 all NBA first team selections, 14 all-stars, four all defensive first team selections. Defense is a very big part of this game. Has won a finals MVP and just one title. So the one title is a problem. How about Oscar Robertson, a guy who gets talked about very little? Just the one title, just one MVP, but nine all-NBA first-team selections, 12 all-stars. There are some guys that had well-rounded games that maybe didn't have the supporting cast or were playing at a different time against different players. I mean, Chris Paul is one that if he stays healthy and his team is successful, he's got 11 all-stars, 10 all-NBA selections, seven all-defensive first-team selections. I think we might be prisoner of the moment here on Steph, even though he's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, and you make a really strong point when it comes, especially to Oscar and Jerry. I, I'm the first to say, like, I'm on a first-name basis with him, by the way. Oscar yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jerry. No, Jerry, Jerry. I, I, uh, Jerry keeps calling you about winning time, and it's like, all right, man, we get it. Yeah, it's, it's not I get what it. you really You want like. me to be in the show. No, I, I understand it. No, no, no. It. He uh, doesn't like the show. He's suing Yeah. Him. Well, I didn't know he was suing. I knew he didn't like it, but Yeah, still, he's trying I mean, to sue them. I, I just figured he wanted me to step into the show because that, that way it has more credibility. That's what well, I bring sure. immediately. I bring sure, gravitas sure. to everything uh -huh. that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I will say this. I think that's such a difficult part of the all-time conversation that, in fairness, I don't consider enough of. I'm the first to admit that. Like When I think of Magic, I think of somebody that changed so much of the way the game is played, and that's why I like Steph in that comparison. I wouldn't know enough, uh, no yeah. matter how much I can go back and watch on YouTube, Trying to understand what Jerry West meant to that era is really difficult for somebody that didn't grow up with that level of history. So I won't pretend to be knowledgeable enough to speak to those those cats and, and without uh, disrespecting what they've accomplished. So I would say it's a hot take, but not flaming. Okay. Not flaming. Okay. Just like, mm, prisoner of the moment, maybe. Uh, 
But I think, to be honest, I would likely say that about almost any take that involves comparing across generations because I do think it's unfair because we do not have the same frame of reference for the players that came before we were watching. And that's just fact. Just fact, no matter how many times people can tell you how great Wilt was or Oscar or anybody else, if you weren't watching it and you don't understand the context of competition or anything else, it's so easy to disregard it. So um, that's the only reason. Otherwise, Zach Loy, I always go to you for, for my NBA. All right. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. Man, mm. this guy is a regular here on, for, uh, uh, I was going to say first take. Uh, no, good take, hot take. But he was on first take with this take. I see the Warriors winning two of the next three titles. That's what I see. I'm thinking about Steph Curry. I'm thinking about Clay. I'm thinking about Draymond, but I'm also thinking about Jordan Poole. I'm thinking about Kamiga. Yes, I'm going to bring up James Wiseman. Yes, I understand he's been out all season long, but the brothers are seven-footer with skills, and I think once you insert him into the equation, with Kevon Looney still there, with Draymond still there, no, I like their chances. I like Moses Moody. I like what I've seen from him. I like Kaminga. I really love Kaminga, actually, okay? I'm looking at the Golden State Warriors being at least eight deep, and I see this team potentially, I, I'm not going to even say potentially, I'm willing to say the Golden State Warriors are winning two of the next three titles. I believe Steph Curry will eclipse LeBron James and capture five championships in his career while LeBron is still stuck on four. Okay, so Fitz. What we're deciding about this take is, is he right that they will win two of the next three, that uh, Steph Curry will surpass LeBron while he's stuck, uh, that they will be led by the formidable duo of Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Uh, there's a lot in there. Uh, good take or hot take? This is fiery hot. <laughs> like, this is seventh layer of hell hot take at this point. And, uh, like, and I'm also wondering, Stephen A., at what point do you not want to put yourself in – like. It wasn't that long ago that Stephen A. sat on TV and social media and guaranteed that the uh, the Suns were going to beat the Mavs. And then later came in and apologized for being <laughs> so wrong about what he was so sure of. It, and that's a recent example. But I don't think, think you about, understand the business he's in fits if that, you're expecting probably, him to slow down on the takes because he got one wrong. That is probably That's why fair. he's where he is and we're where we, we are. That, that is, the, yeah. That, <laughs> never mind. You know what, Stephen A., you got it right. And by the way, Golden State's going to win 18 of the next 22 right. championships. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and can I borrow and a dollar? They're going to be the best at, at, at five-point shots within a year and a half. Like that, That's that's what's going to happen. No, I, I do think, though, that there's a moment we forget what all – not all of us, but so many people thought was the most likely NBA final this year did not involve either of these teams. Mm -hmm. So the NBA is in a glorious time where it's not as predictable as it has been. I think we should embrace that, absolutely embrace that, instead of coming in and trying to predict what the next two to three years are going to be. Yeah, I'm, this is definitely hot. Um, it's not to say that I don't think the Warriors could win a couple in the next few years, but I don't find it necessary to predict that, and I certainly would not be dropping Moses Moody as part of the reason I believe that. No offense to Moses Moody, but he's averaging 4.4 points. I mean, <laughs> this is who we're this. Well, he's clearly the future. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> By the way, happy birthday, Moses Moody. It's his birthday oh. today. Oh, nice. um, again, uh, real quick, Sarah, I will tell you a breakaway goal. Evander Kane has just Ooh. scored, and uh, Edmonton is now up one nothing on Colorado Ooh. in the first. Good update. Good update. All right, final take from Tim Legler here. I just think all these guys, right, these guys that are on that elite level that 
we wait for them to have these breakthroughs. Um, you know, we consider them all league players, MVP candidates, guys that you can win championships with as your best player. You know, that's a short list of guys. And, and, and every so often a new guy comes into that, comes into that conversation. Jason Tatum certainly got himself in the conversation this year. And then what you have to do is continue to advance and break through barriers. I mean, this was his first opportunity to get a team to the NBA finals as their best player. So I just think mentally it gives you so much confidence. Yeah, I mean, real quick, is he putting himself in the conversation with the NBA's elite? I think so, but I think also fits that you can't be considered elite unless you win enough and you only win enough with good roster construction. And there are several young, great players who I think are probably just as good as Tatum if they were put in the right position. Yeah, and I think this is just the beginning of Tatum's opportunity to ascend. I mean, I, we're just starting a conversation for him for sure. He good. He is good. good he is good, and it's a good take. Uh, it's Spain and Fit. That was good take, hot take. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Coming up, there is a controversy brewing with Liz Cambage of the L.A. Sparks. In fact, it's been ongoing since she surprisingly dropped out of the Australian national team for the Olympics. We'll give you the latest coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Meredith Cash of Business Insider and Yahoo Sports is going to join us now to talk about a story that I think a lot of people are talking about on social but hasn't broken through to some of the shows on ESPN and other networks because it's really complicated. And it's been ongoing for over a year now with recent revelations making things even more difficult to kind of discuss and break down. But we're going to do our best to dive in here. Meredith, let me just set it up quickly. Uh, you've written a great story for Yahoo News that people can find and Yahoo Sports. But basically, about a year ago, Liz Cambage, who now plays for the LA Sparks, dropped out of her Australian national team just ahead of the Olympics. And she cited mental health challenges. But it was reported and alluded to back then from some of her Australian countrymen and women that there were some incidents that had occurred that caused her to pull out of that team. Now there's reporting from uh, the Daily Telegraph in Australia that she was fighting with Nigerian players during a closed-door scrimmage with the Nigerian team that involved a nasty elbow to the to the elbow, like to the face and, and collarbone of a player that caused a deep cut. And then it came to blows and she responded with a racist tirade telling Nigerian players to, quote, go back to your third world country and calling them, quote, monkeys. She now claims that didn't happen. There are many other uh, uh, um, uh, witnesses that say it did. And that leaves us here, Meredith. And the response from the Sparks is that we already handled this internally. We're good. Are they at liberty to just decide that once this has gone public the way it has? You know, I think that that's probably something that Liz Campage has to deal with beyond just the Sparks. I think the Sparks can say what they will about what's going on internally between Liz and the team, which in and of itself is complicated, right, given that some of the players on that team have ties to Team Nigeria. Um, but there are other players in the WNBA who have ties to both national teams, Team Australia and Team Nigeria, um, and so I think for the Sparks to just dismiss it, you know, they can say that for their own franchise, but the ramifications beyond the Sparks themselves, you know, Liz will have to deal with, the franchise will have to deal with as a repercussion of, you know, signing someone who has this baggage, frankly. 
with that being said, so much of what we expect in today's world is is a video world, right? And there is video of the altercation, but uh, there's no indication I can find anywhere of whether or not the slur was found on video. Have you been able to, to figure out if that video exists? I have not yet gotten any sort of uh, firm confirmation that there's audio. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why there that hasn't been published yet. You know, it's common practice to, to tape these games, but I'm not sure how often the the audio is, is carried along with it because it's mostly for, you know, player review purposes. Um, I think it's, it's possible that it's out there for sure. I haven't seen it as of yet. Um, but as of right now, what, what I think uh, the Daily Telegraph and other outlets are going off of is uh, accounts from both teams, frankly. I think right. Liz is the only player who was on the court who has, as far as I've read, uh, outright denied that this happened. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Meredith Cash, who writes for Business Insider and Yahoo Sports, and her story breaks down this back and forth. And what's kind of interesting, of course, about this is this is over a year old. We started to hear rumblings about it. Her former captain on the Australian team spoke about this and said that this is what happened. There were racial slurs used towards the Nigerian team, that there was an incident that was the thing that eventually caused her to leave that team before the Olympics. Um, and she she kept saying the truth will come out. And it seems like it has, Meredith, if you go by the fact that everybody except for Cambage says that something happened and they all use the same language. They all use the same descriptions. She describes the foul that we've seen on tape as unintentional. Then she says that she was the one physically assaulted. And she says that there is absolutely no truth to the slurs. The idea that the person who has the most to lose would be the only one to deny this happening, I think tells us what we need to know about it, right? I, I think generally that that is how I view these things. But it, it's, hard to, it's hard to say given that it's, again, a year old, like you mentioned, and the fact that there, are, there, there aren't people on the record saying that, okay, I'm the person who is telling you that Liz Cambage said this and Liz Cambage well, said that. Well, right? her, her former captain with the Opals. Um, yes, was the she one confirmed who, and, she And Andrew confirmed Bogut, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, but in terms of the players who were actually on the court that day, I believe they've all stayed anonymous, at least in the Daily Telegraph report. That said, I don't think that takes away credibility and all credit to the Daily uh, Telegraph for doing their uh, doing their investigation properly, and you know this this is this is pretty uh, <laughs> this is a pretty good amount of evidence. I think it's right. it's all but certain that it went down the way that the vast majority of people in the room say it went down. Um, and I think you're right to to say that the person who has a lot to lose here, sort of being the one who is making an account that doesn't line up you know that's telling so meredith we're used to an nfl world where they can go in and investigate things and come to their own determination what's the wmba's next step in their investigation if any uh my my understanding as of this morning reaching out to the wnba was no comment i think it's it's possible that because this didn't happen in an official WNBA venue, in an official WNBA event, they can let it happen without uh, 
without fully taking ownership of this investigation. I think they can right. point to Basketball Australia having done an investigation and, you know, they did not suspend or find uh, Liz Cambage, whether or not that was because they collected, collectively decided as, you know, an entity to just let it blow over and not bring so much attention to what was frankly a, a, an absolute mess just before the Olympic Games. It was, it was, as close to a disaster as I think anything would be, um, you know, that, that is a different thing in and of itself. But I think the WNBA can say, hey, listen, the, the governing body here already did their investigation. What is it for us to, uh, to mm. investigate at this point? That said, I think WNBA fans are likely to hold the league to a higher standard and someone will have to speak to this, whether it's the Sparks or the WNBA or Liz Cambage herself or all three. Yeah. Uh, you can follow her at Mayor Cash 22. Meredith Cash is with us on Spain and Fitz talking about the Liz Cambage issue. As you mentioned in your story, the Sparks directed you to her post, Cambage's post, and the WNBA declined to comment. I don't think that's going to work in this situation for a number of reasons. And one of them is what you alluded to earlier, which is there are serious complications in terms of the teammates that she has on the Sparks, the most respected and highest level being Neka Ogumike, who is herself Nigerian. Cheneo Gumake, her sister, who is also Nigerian, and their sister, who plays for the Nigerian national team. Not to mention the fact that Liz Cambage herself is half Nigerian. Her father is Nigerian. Now, there's a whole lot of nuance to conversations about interracial uh, people and, and with whom they associate and their own, whether you call it self-hatred or racism against their own people, but... I mean, all of that is floating around this, too, to the point where if you are now asking, say, NECA and Cheney to stand out front and say they're fine with this for the sake of the team's best interests, that's such an unfair burden to put on them. And I'm not saying that's what's happening. It may very well be true that they all got together and felt like they you know, were comfortable with Liz's explanation. But, man, that's a really tough look to have them have to go take the court with her every night with no accountability or punishment for this. Right. And I also think that we don't know how much or how little they were privy to at the time of these alleged conversations that they had right. as a team. I think also it's, it's worth mentioning that even if they did say, okay, listen, we can move forward. We can, we can move together as one, as a WNBA franchise and, and put this behind us. It's a different thing. And I hear you and I appreciate your apology that's a different thing than having to sit in front of the WNBA media and speak to it, right? I don't think that NECA, who is obviously as well-respected as they come in the WNBA, she's literally the Players Association president, I think she would be smarter than to accept that role um, had she known that that's what she was signing up for. And we saw it happen, right? After their game on, I believe it was Sunday, NECA was asked, uh, you know, what her thoughts were and how the team is responding. And she basically said the same thing that the Sparks did, which is, you know, we, we handled this. Um, right. Again, I, I don't know if that's going to sit well with WNBA fans or Sparks fans, but for now at least that's, that's the answer they're giving. Yeah, I think you're right, too, that it will be interesting to know what they were privy to when they decided that they could keep it in-house and they felt okay about it versus maybe some of the stuff that's come out in this new reporting. Hey, excellent work on the story, and thanks so much for giving us some time, Meredith. Thanks, Yeah, Meredith. thanks for having me. It was good to be here.
Meredith Cash. You can read her work on Business Insider and follow her at Cash 22 The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Coming up, if Nick Castellanos is up to bat, you might want to keep the heartfelt tributes to yourself. We'll tell you why next. <laughs> Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Just as we're coming back, we get a goal. The Colorado Avalanche have just scored to take a 2-1 lead over Edmonton with 4.50 to go. You can tell I put a TV in my studio, Sarah. That's yeah. really what this is about. Like, I put a TV in Next here. Next up, you're going to be like, wow, well, I really like this new State Farm commercial featuring <laughs> Jake and uh, what's his name? <laughs> you know, that that only makes me laugh because I saw uh, our, our great uh, analyst, Doris Burke, on a commercial recently that I didn't realize has been running everywhere because I just don't I don't pay yeah. any attention to commercials. And so I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And everybody in the room was like, have you not watched the TV for the last two weeks? Because this thing has been on <laughs> a thousand times. Well, that so happened to me you. when I asked about the woman in the in the gown at the Heat game. Someone goes, guess it's your first Heat game you watched. I'm like, I've literally watched every game. I'm just watching the game, not the sideline. And I didn't realize it was the same lady who wore that dress with the Heat things on it the other day. Like, I just, I'm not diving deep into the content of who's sitting sidelines so yeah don't i'm also get the worst fits. about watching these games on mute in general while i'm listening to a podcast or doing whatever so like sometimes you miss some of that stuff so look i've got a tv that's bright <laughs> and shiny in front of me yeah, i mean, you know. I mean well, yeah you know. the fact that you're watching tv while hosting the show i think says a lot too well i mean I, I, it's a it's an <laughs> important match cue in your it, hand <laughs> well you know, give me a time you know maybe that's where we're gonna go uh look i, I might be uh I might be watching the – I mean, this is the Stanley Cup playoff, so I'm not going to apologize for watching that while we're on air. I'm not going to watch the match whether we're on air or not on air because, like, let's just face it, it's boring. And the match is so boring at this point. <laughs> How boring is it? It's so boring that we forgot it's happening. Like, I, I saw the the And then the I go, who's lines. in it? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes are taking each other on. And I saw the betting lines for it, and I was like, oh, that's nifty. When's the match? And I looked, it's tomorrow. Like, remember when everybody was obsessed <laughs> over the fact that the match was going to be kind of like the big yeah, thing we that's going to be happening? Yeah. But to be fair, if I weren't busy, I think I would watch it. I, yeah, I think I would watch. I mean, would listen, there. I would watch the highlights at least. The, the bending over and the pants splitting, the smack talking, you know, the best of the bunch. Yeah. Well, by the way, it takes place June 1st at the Wind Golf Club in Nevada. Coverage on TNT slated to begin at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, apparently. So look Smart. at that. That, that, that is, uh, That's what we need if to they're know. they're all right mic'd up, about. just hearing them talk to each other is worth it to me. But again, just give me the highlights. Somebody, somebody break it down into a nice digestible five minutes, and I'll watch it when it's all over. That, see, that's my – like, I definitely want to hear what they have to say mic'd up. So if y'all, if y'all could, like, tweet me the good stuff, that way I don't have yeah. to spend my time <laughs> watching celebrities play golf. But there's one thing that I know that if, if you are waiting for that opportunity to make the, the lifetime, just make sure you know exactly who's in the room because there's a baseball <laughs> phenomenon happening, Sarah. Uh, and, it, it, it like, I'm trolly enough to know that I would save my best play-by-play but I don't know if that's what's happening or if it's just happenstance, but it has gotten wild over the last few weeks. Yeah, this has been one of the biggest delights of the internet and particularly sports Twitter uh, in the last couple years. And it all began with the famous moment 
where uh, Tom Brenneman was attempting to poorly apologize for being caught on a hot mic degrading LGBTQ plus people and essentially had to sign off mid-game and incorporated the call like a professional into his play-by-play. Well, that was the beginning and that has become a meme of its own. But since then, it has become clear that Castellanos will find a way during whatever important heartfelt moment you need to spit out during a game to make sure that he hits a deep drive to left during it. And it happened again yesterday. That is the last one of this fantastic compilation of Castellanos overs. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. It happened in the top of the third inning of the Peoria Sports Complex in a ground ball by Jonathan India. Tatis reached to his right and threw the runner out in a close play at first base. That's when things got interesting and not in a good way. Tatis started walking back toward the Padres' dugout, even though there was only one out. He was met by manager Jace Tingler and a trainer and took himself out of the game. And there's a deep drive into left field by Castellanos, and that will be a home run, so that'll make it a 3-2 game. Well, we're going to tell you about a great man, and it's a loss for the Royals family. This is George Gorman, who passed away at the age of 96. He served our country in World War II. He went to the University of Kansas, and so did his son, Pat Gorman, who's been working for the Royals in the clubhouse for 26 years wow. and that was Pat's father but that's a great life 96 years and Pat just like his dad went to KU he also went to Bishop Ward High School there's a drive into deep left center field and there's never a great time to eulogize someone during the broadcast so we apologize for the timing but our hearts go out to Pat who's just been a tremendous loyal employee to the Royals for 26 years and his wife Katie as she lost her father-in-law and daughters Abby and Caroline who lost their grandfather but they had him for 96 years wow. sorry for your loss the gold chair which will sit vacant here at Citizens Bank Park honoring uh, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Castellanos rips one to deep left field. It is gone! Oh, God. They're all deep drives <laughs> to left. I will say this much. What we've said throughout, and each time a new one is added to the compilation, people basically say that Castellanos has no respect for these moments, that he's, he's the killer of every hard out, that he can't be trusted for the dedications. And I disagree. I say it's the opposite. I say he knows that your dead grandpa will get a lot more press and publicity and be remembered over and over and over and over again if he just hits a deep drive to left while you're honoring his death. Maybe there's like a little pager he's wearing. He gets a buzz. It's like sentimental moment. This would be a good like time to end Homer. Like if, doing we get, it. if we get this right right now, let's get that. Because you're right. Like, I mean, I, I keep thinking about the, as they're talking about team employees and people that love baseball. And like, what better way to celebrate your love of baseball than having a home run hit during your, your big moment on the broadcast? Right. At least that's right. all I can tell myself. Or the broadcaster saving it until he's up just in case you can get that moment. Well, I think the second one in the clip 
the guy knew the lore. N- not the second, the third one of the clip. I think the guy knew the lore of Castellanos, and you could almost hear in his voice, like, well, there's never a good time, but not surprised that this happened. Uh, I mean, just perfection from Castellanos. I miss him on the Cubs, but it's nice to see him doing, uh, doing, I guess, the Lord's work of bringing attention to the most important parts of baseball games, the honored dedications. Or, or I guess injury timeouts uh, as well. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.